Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's the Ancients on History Hit. I'm Tristan Hughes, your host, and in today's podcast, well, it's everyone's favourite Egyptologist, Dr. Chris Norton. He is back on the podcast. You might remember we had him on a few months ago to talk about ancient Egypt in the later period of Egypt's history, from the Libyans to the Assyrians to the Persians to Alexander the Great. It's proved one of our most popular podcasts ever. And recently, I went over to Chris's house to interview him for a few more podcast episodes on some aspects of his most recent work on lost monuments, lost tombs, lost buildings in and around the ancient and modern city of Alexandria. In this podcast, we really go into a pet passion project of Chris's over the past year or so. And this is his search, his quest for a certain monumental building which antiquarians had labelled the Baths of Cleopatra. This is a great detective story as Chris looked through the records to see what he could learn about these references to this ancient monument associated with one of the most famous figures from ancient Mediterranean, ancient Egyptian, ancient Hellenistic history. And without further ado, here's Chris. Chris, great to have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me back. It's a great pleasure. No problem at all. Always good to have you on the show. And now we're going to be focusing in on ancient Alexandria. I mean, of all cities in Egypt, Alexandria, Chris, it really does feel like the city where we tantalisingly know that there must be so much monumental Hellenistic Roman archaeology beneath the streets that we're yet to uncover. Yes, I think so. I mean, this was after Rome, the great city of the ancient world in many ways for several centuries. It was certainly was the capital city of Egypt. It was where the focus of all of the building activity at sort of royal level was for centuries and centuries. It's now Egypt's second biggest city. It's a city of five million people. It's not relative to other centres for archaeological interest in Egypt. It's visited relatively rarely by visitors from outside the country. And relative to what there must have been, there is relatively little to see now. And that makes it kind of a difficult place to get your head around in some ways. It is a very big and bustling place. We know it has the same name that it was given by Alexander the Great himself, even today. And yet there's very little to see of that ancient city. And yet, you know, we know 
how well archaeological remains survive in Egypt in very general terms. There must be or have been up until relatively recently more. And the temptation is to think that it is there. It's just that the modern city was built in all the places that we want to look in. And that stops us now from getting at that stuff. And we do know in regards to monumental architecture that there is monumental architecture relating to some of the biggest names in late ancient Egyptian history. And first of all, Cleopatra, the famous Cleopatra of the late first century BC. Chris, we do know that there is monumental architecture named after her or in her honour. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cleopatra was on the throne. She was the pharaoh of Egypt, of course, for a couple of decades. She, as every good pharaoh would, built on a grand scale. If anything, if ancient textual sources are anything to go by, was rather more inclined not to fall into line with her predecessors in, for example, that they were all buried, so we are told, in a kind of group mausoleum, whereas Cleopatra took the decision to have a mausoleum of her own, built for herself and latterly for Mark Antony. But we know that she was a builder of temples, of a palace, of part of the palace's district. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think there's no question that in her time, she left a mark on monumental Alexandria. And subsequent to that, in much more modern times, a number of monuments have come to take on her name. Some of those monuments may genuinely have been related to her own activities. In other cases, it may just be that when you have something very old and very grand, the easy thing to do is to call it the whatever of Cleopatra. And there's no doubt that that's happened too. But in fact, you know, here we are in the 21st century with an Alexandria where much of the archaeology is obscured, as we've already said. Some of that archaeology actually has only become obscured in the last couple of centuries. And we're left either with sites or monuments or the traces of those things in the literature and archives of those things. And a bit of a puzzle as to what really is there, what's still there, what used to be there but isn't anymore. What might have been there in ancient times, what might have been there in more modern times but still vanished since then. And Alexandria, and this takes a bit of explaining too, I think it's fair to say is a bit of a blind spot for many Egyptologists. And this has led to a bit of confusion and misunderstanding about what there still is and what might still remain and what might be yet out there awaiting discovery. So there's a mystery here. There is a mystery. We love that word. We love the mystery word. We'll be out to Alexandria one day, Chris, to look beneath the We street. have to do this. I'm going to hold you to this. It will happen. Got to do it. Well, especially for Alexander the Great, who will come to very yeah. soon, I'm sure, indeed. So of all these monuments, some related to Cleopatra, some maybe not related to Cleopatra, but have got Cleopatra's name. Let's focus in on your pet project, first of all, of quite recently. And these are the Lost Baths of Cleopatra. I mean, Chris, how did you stumble upon there being the Baths of Cleopatra? Well, I'm glad you asked, Tristan. So for much of 2019 and a little bit of 2020, I spent a lot of time looking in the archives of early Egyptologists. Much of this material actually relates to a time before Egyptology was even a word. So these are travellers of a sort of scholarly inclination who set out to record what they found in Egypt. And that, in some cases, meant 
anything and everything, but there was naturally a focus on the built environment and in particular on ancient monuments. And what I was interested in was the records of these things, what state they showed monuments which are well known to us now to have been in, say, two centuries ago, which is interesting because I think we tend to assume that the job of archaeology, if you like, is to just reveal things. Stuff gets buried, so we remove sand or mud or whatever it is, and then those things are just sort of waiting for us, and we reveal them, and there they are. That's the end of the story. When actually it's far more complicated than that, and in Egypt over the last couple of centuries, things have been revealed, yes, but then for one reason or another, that's not the end of the story, and things come to be rebuilt, or in some cases, strange and unexpected as it might sound, things are dismantled or demolished. So a lot of these records are hugely interesting and important and valuable because they're not only a record of things at a particular moment in time, a couple of centuries ago typically, they're also in some cases records of monuments which have disappeared completely. One of the challenges for somebody like me looking at these things is that much as today Egyptology is a well-established discipline and people like me who know a bit about it no standardised names for sites and monuments. There was no such standardisation a couple of centuries ago, and so monuments tend to be called different things, given different names by different people. So the challenge is to be able to recognise something visually and say, oh, okay, so that's not the name we know it by now, but I can see that that is actually the Temple of Ramesses II or whatever. And in almost all cases, I found that even if it took a bit of research, I was able to identify what I was looking at and get around that issue of strange and unfamiliar names being used or things even sort of looking a little bit different having changed in the last couple of centuries. But there was one monument which came up in several of the archives I was looking at, which really intrigued me. First of all, because of the name, Baths of Cleopatra. I had never come across any such thing before. And Alexandria is a bit of a blind spot for Egyptologists like me, as I said, but actually for one reason or another my research has taken me to Alexandria quite a lot in the last few years. And I felt as though I knew what there was to be found in Alexandria, and yet it was clear that the Baths of Cleopatra, so-called, were in Alexandria. I have never heard of them, and moreover the drawings showed a very, clearly very spectacular monument, and I just could not think what this was. I thought it must be that this is a name that has fallen out of use and we know it by something else. But I was looking at these drawings and just thinking, I just have no idea what this is. Cue a year's worth of research <laughs> trying to get to the bottom of what this is. So I don't know to what extent you want the full story of absolutely. a year's worth no, of Go for the full story, absolutely, <laughs> Chris, we want to hear it. This is gripping stuff right now. <laughs> okay, so the second thing that was in my mind was that this spectacular monument that we could see in the drawings looked to me like it was probably a tomb. And the research that had taken me to Alexandria was the research I was doing for a book, Searching for the Lost Tombs of Egypt, which devoted quite a lot of time to the still missing tombs of Alexander the Great and Cleopatra, both of which must have been in Alexandria. So here I am looking at drawings of what looked to me like a monumental tomb attached to the name Cleopatra, which seems to me, based on my arrogant position that I know everything there is to know about archaeology in Alexandria, to now be missing itself. So of course my first thought is, could this in some way be something that is missing from the story of the lost tombs of Alexandria? 
Alexander the Great and Cleopatra? I thought not, because there's too much of attention has already been devoted to those things. So I thought probably not. But still, what is this huge monument? And has it really vanished or not? Anyway, so I initially wasn't really focusing on this. I was just making a point of checking every bit of literature, every archive, as I was going along looking at other things to see if there were references. And most of the time, particularly in more modern published literature, I was turning up nothing, which, of course, only encouraged me in this search and in the idea that whatever this was, these so-called Baths of Cleopatra, they had disappeared in some sense, whether that meant physically they do not exist anymore for whatever reason, even though they were visited by, and by this point I'm gathering more and more instances of people having gone. Which, by the way, of course, gives me the impression that at a certain point in the first half of the 19th century, it was absolutely on the standard itinerary. This is what you did. You went to the Serapeum and you went to the obelisks, which at that point hadn't yet gone to New York and London. So, you know, you could still go and see those things in Alexandria. And you went to various other sites and monuments in Alexandria and you went to the Baths of Cleopatra. Curiously enough, I found myself in a second-hand bookshop in Inverness at the end of a holiday in February 2020, just before the dreaded pandemic arrived. And I came across E.M. Forster's Guide to Alexandria, which is actually a well-known, well-established guide, not written by an archaeologist, but by somebody who lived in Alexandria, very well-known writer, of course. And I picked this up in the second-hand bookshop, thumbed to the index, and sure enough, to my surprise, actually, there's a reference to the Baths of Cleopatra. And his book was published in the middle of the 20th century, so he knew about them. And in fact, to my amazement, there was a couple of pages of description and a map. And the map seemed to show that the baths were a little way in from the coast in the region of Abu Kir, at the very western extent of Abu Kir Bay, which if you know your Alexandria and surrounds is something like 30 kilometers east of Alexandria proper. So first of all, I thought, well, that's unexpected because it's not really Alexandria. It's in the region of Alexandria but it's not quite where I thought they were going to be. I'm also thinking of my research into these lost tombs and thinking that one of the criteria for establishing where those tombs might have been is where the Ptolemaic city walls were. So in other words, where the limits of the city were at the time Alexander was buried and Cleopatra was alive and then subsequently being buried. The assumption being that those tombs, in fact, were within the city walls. And the city walls don't go anywhere near Abu Kir. So whatever this was, if it is a tomb, it's a long, long way outside the city. But I just had to assume that maybe this, for our travellers making their drawings, this counts as wider Alexandria. But then I got in touch with a friend of mine, Dr. Daniele Salvoldi, who used to teach in Alexandria. He's an Italian archaeologist and Egyptologist. He's married to an Egyptian Egyptologist. They live in Egypt. He used to teach in Alexandria, now in Cairo. I knew that he'd created a map of the location of monuments, ancient monuments in Alexandria, whether they still exist or not. And I dropped him a line and just said, do you know anything about this? He'd never come across them either, which gave me further encouragement. He suggested I should try a couple of local Ministry of Antiquities inspectors, which I did. And one of them came back to me very confidently saying, oh, yes, I know what this is. But I was absolutely sure that he was wrong. The other one didn't know. So even the Alexandrian archaeologists that I was talking to had no knowledge of this. But Daniele went away and did a bit of research on my behalf and eventually managed to match the drawings to a plan in a fairly obscure but fairly recent volume, I hope the author will forgive me, 
on the monumental tombs of Alexandria. And it turns out that the so-called Baths of Cleopatra are in fact, well, the tomb is now known in the literature when it gets mentioned at all as the Grand Catacomb at Wadian. Wadian is a district to the west of Alexandria proper, a little bit outside the ancient city walls in an area which is called by Strabo and others, because this is the name it had in ancient times, Necropolis. It's the cemetery area. And so this thing apparently exists, or at least it is remembered in the literature. This book was published in about 2003. The author of this book, by the way, sadly, she was already a senior academic at the time she wrote the book and she's since passed away. So I haven't had the opportunity to talk to her about it, unfortunately. And according to the 2003 volume, it is still extant. So it still exists. And yet, I'm still yet really to find anybody who has even come across, if not the Baths of Cleopatra, then even the Grand Catacomb at Wadian. So the question now is really still, and until we can go to Alexandria, Tristan, I can't answer this question, do they really exist? Or does the Grand Catacomb exist? If not, how can it be that this incredibly spectacular ancient monument of Marjorie Venet, the author of the book on monumental tombs of Alexandria, believes probably an early first century, so Roman era catacomb, a little bit too late for Cleopatra, but not so late. And the dating isn't so secure either that it couldn't be. I don't think it's the tomb of Cleopatra. And indeed, by the way, I don't think it's anything to do with Cleopatra. I'm pretty sure that that name has just come to be attached to it in more recent times. But still, it's a very intriguing and interesting thing. I would love to visit it, but I need to find out first if it even still exists. It became a pet project. You're right in referring to it as that. I sort of got to the end of all of this and thought, oh, it's, it's not the lost royal tomb of either Alexander the Great or Cleopatra. It might exist or it might not. But does anyone care? I, maybe not, because, you know, it seems to have disappeared. If not physically, it seems to have disappeared from memory and even from the literature. And so actually, by the time I came to be writing a very long-winded and self-indulgent blog post about the whole thing, I think I was sort of okay with the idea that there is a significance in all of this, which is that even when archaeologists visit, document, excavate, reveal an ancient monument, and even publish it, doesn't mean to say that it's then sort of safe and it will never ever disappear ever again. You know, we've reached the end of history and so we now have the monuments we have and we'll never lose them. Even a monument as apparently large and grand and spectacular and potentially important as this can still disappear. And I think there's just something interesting, rather unsettling about it, but interesting about that. And like I say, I suppose the next part of the mission is to go and see if I can find it and maybe make sure that it doesn't disappear from memory by, I don't know, photographing it. And... Join us this month on Gone Medieval from History Hit. I'm Matt Lewis. And I'm Eleanor Yanaga. This April, dive into our special miniseries. With the help of leading experts, we're tracing the foundations of England by exploring the country's most powerful Anglo-Saxon kingdoms. We'll be looking at Northumbria, Mercia and Wessex, as well as the rulers and their councils who helped shape a nation. Make sure to get every episode by listening and following Gone Medieval from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. 
Have you heard of the teenage werewolf prosecuted in 1603? Did you know that the 17th century British government relied heavily on female spies? And do you want to know about chin-chucking and thigh sex? Of course you do. I'm Susanna Lipscomb, and my new podcast, Not Just the Tudors, is a deep dive into what I like to think of as the long 16th century. We'll be talking about everything from Aztecs to witches, Velezquez to Shakespeare, Mughal India to the Mayflower. Not, in other words, just the Tudors, but most definitely also the Tudors. Subscribe to Not Just the Tudors from History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. We're talking about photographs and the ability, obviously, you can't go there yet, but like in the meantime, having things such as Google Earth, Google Maps, you did have a quick look, didn't you, to see if you could possibly locate the area of this monument? Yeah, thank you for asking. I did. I left this project for a bit and then I came back to it and then I left it again for a bit and then I came back to it. And this is the pandemic, of course. This is last year, it's in lockdown. At least for some of that time, we weren't even really supposed to be leaving our houses, let alone able to go to libraries. So Daniele Salvoldi was able to get to the AUC, American University in Cairo Library, just before lockdown hit in Egypt, and he was able to take some snapshots on his phone of the relevant pages from Marjorie Bennett's book. But I really wanted to get a hold of this book. He also photographed the pages that had a short summary of information available about it, which was really, really very brief, and a bit of bibliography. And it seemed that the information Bennett was using it wasn't clear to me whether she'd been at all to the tomb, which was interesting in itself. Her information came from an Italian archaeologist who had published a volume also on monumental tombs, which he had excavated. And in fact, he had excavated this particular tomb. And I subsequently found out actually he had cleared it and he'd also done a bit of restoration in it and he'd photographed it. And over the course of the lockdown, I got more and more and more fidgety and anxious about wanting to be able to consult these publications, both of which are difficult to come by. Marjorie Venet's book is not in the libraries that I would normally consult for Egyptology. Again, because I think Alexandrian archaeology sits slightly outside what Egyptologists are mostly interested in. So it had slipped the net. I'd never even heard of this book. I used to be the librarian of the Egypt Exploration Society. I like to think that I knew about everything there is in the literature in Egyptology. I'd never come across this book before. And the book that she refers to for her own information is another one that wasn't represented. It's not the ES. Fiendishly difficult to get hold of. But eventually I, forgive me, this in itself is a silly tangent, but I took myself on a cycling trip to another secondhand bookshop in North London, which seems to be the only place in the UK where you could buy a copy of the Italian publication. And I shelled out rather more money than I normally would for books because I, by this point I've got to have this book. You're so committed to the I'm book. so committed yeah. to the project and unable to go. So yes, I have these books now, having remortgaged my house and everything, I now have these books on my desk and I'm able to pore over them despite leaving the project for a bit, coming back to it. So one Saturday around lunchtime, I'm idly looking again at the map in Venet's book, which actually very, very, very helpfully provides only in the very basic details, the plan of Alexandria showing the position of the modern streets. And she locates the Grand Catacomb in the context of the modern streets. Most plans that are available 
don't show that. They show the ancient city, where the Ptolemaic city walls were, where Wadian was in relation to the Palaces district or to the Serapeum or something like that. But they didn't allow me to position where this monument might be on a modern map. Having realised that this one did, I then go to Google Earth to see if I can see the shapes of the streets as they appear in Venet's sketch map. And to my amazement, there's a sequence of streets, I think, which are on an odd sort of diagonal relative to the coastline. And the Grand Catacomb is positioned in between two of those diagonal streets. And those diagonal streets are recognisable in Google Earth. So I go into Google Earth, zoom in as much as I can on the spot where Venet locates the tomb. And all you can see is a, what looks like a fenced off area with some foliage in it. This is a very, very industrial area of Alexandria. So in modern times, as in ancient times, there are two main harbours. One to the east, which is the Great Harbour. This is the area of the Palaces District. It's the area of all the main buildings of state, constructions of Cleopatra, Julius Caesar, Mark Antony, etc., etc., etc. It's most probably where the tombs of Alexander the Great and Cleopatra were to be located. That's divided from another port to the west called the Old Port by uh, what was originally just a causeway connecting the mainland with the island of Pharos, but which is now a very, very heavily built up area. And the necropolis area of ancient times is a little inland from the Old Port. And the Great Harbour now in Alexandria is where you'll find hotels, cafes, shops, civic monuments, that kind of thing along with an extremely busy road. The old port to the west is very, very, very industrial, as I say. So what you could see in Google Earth is the industrial harbour and lots of containers and what look like kind of industrial wasteland for lorries and that sort of thing. And then there's this fenced off area with green in it. And I, my bet is that the only reason you would find greenery in that area, which otherwise would be absolutely in demand for heavy industry in that area is that it's protected for some reason. And I suspect that it's protected because that is the location of the so-called Baths of Cleopatra, the Grand Catacomb of Wadian. So all there is left to do <laughs> now is to persuade somebody, or maybe just do it myself, jump in a taxi next time I'm in Alexandria. All we've got to do is jump in the back of a car and persuade the driver that they want to take us to this precise place, which we might have to just use a kind of Google Earth to navigate our way there, you know, left here, right here. And then maybe even, I don't know how easy it will be to get onto that land, which is probably owned by heavy industry and see what we can see. Best thing maybe to do would be to take a Ministry of Antiquities inspector along with us. And maybe somebody even has a key, who knows? I will be trying, for sure, I will be trying. I'm just imagining this quite, yes, this is heavy industrial area, trying to get to this one place in the centre that might be an archaeological site from 2,000 years ago, but you've got lorries, you've got trucks going all around the place. You'll figure a way, you'll figure a way, my friend, when it happens, when you get back to Alexandria, indeed. It'll be well worth it, no doubt. I really hope so, and quite honestly, it wouldn't be the first time that I had gone somewhere with the help of friends from nearby to tell them that there is a something very interesting archaeologically, even though you can't see it, either underneath the ground or there was in this particular spot, and it wouldn't be the first time I'd done that with 
<laughs> rather exhausted looking people who think I'm insane. So, you know, from that point of view, yeah, I'm ready, ready to do it. We're all insane in the ancient history world. <laughs> maybe, in, yeah, maybe. But I think it's just a great story because, in my opinion, it serves almost like a microcosm for what there could still be. Incredible monumental architecture. Okay, maybe it's not the Lost Baths of Cleopatra, but it's still monumental architecture. A microcosm for how much there must just still be under the streets of Alexandria. It must be wonderful, but also frustrating to think about how much there still is. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at drawings of Alexandria from the first half of the 19th century up to the sort of middle of the 19th century, it's really quite unsettling how much of the ancient city appears to have been preserved up until that point and how much is still, if not quite standing, then at least lying around. We know that the basic layout of the city was sketched out on Alexander's instructions, and even though construction didn't begin until some time after he had died, some part of the plan was already in place, and we know that there was always intended, as he would expect to be, two main thoroughfares running through the city, meeting in a crossroads in the centre, so there's a roughly east-west road, there's a roughly a north-south road at strategic positions, and they were lined with columns, and a lot of those columns were still visible 200 years ago, there is one or two places, one in particular I can think of, in the centre of the city now, where, I don't know quite how this has come about in this case, but in between two buildings, a mosque and the building next door, the ground in between has been not built on, and you look from the street level down some several metres, and there is a column, standing as I remember, and presumably still standing at the level of the ancient ground. And as I say, I mean, the early drawings suggest that there was a lot of that, not just sort of waiting to be dug up underneath the ground, but there standing. And what happens is that I guess, you know, the attentions of Egyptologists and archaeologists were very much elsewhere in Egypt on hieroglyphic inscriptions and dynastic Egypt, and not so much on Ptolemaic and Hellenistic Egypt, which I think kind of falls between classics and Egyptology somehow. It's not enough classics for the classicist and it's not enough Egyptology for the Egyptologist. So Alexandria doesn't really become the focus of much archaeology until the end of the 19th century, by which time the modern city is under construction. The two obelisks of Cleopatra, and in that case they really are of Cleopatra, they're actually New Kingdom obelisks, so they were already approximately a thousand years old, a little bit older than a thousand years old by the time they were moved to Alexandria from Heliopolis under Cleopatra's orders. But, but still, in the sense that she ordered that they be moved and sit at the front of a temple dedicated to Julius Caesar, they are truly obelisks of Cleopatra. They were still in place, they were still in situ. One moved quite a long time before the other. The New York one went first and the London one in the 1870s. But they, in fact, are, I think, part of a wider story of there having been an Alexandria which was there waiting for us until the modern city comes to be constructed. It didn't help that the British bombarded Alexandria in the early 1880s, and that won't have helped any of the archaeology to survive. But I think it's probably fair to say that, as you've already said yourself, there was and there probably still is a lot of the ancient city underneath now the modern city. It's just that by building a city of five million people. We now can't get at that. Chris, lastly, your book, 
all about these tombs which do focus partly on Alexandria. The book is called? It's called Searching for the Lost Tombs of Egypt. There we go. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Ancients. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code ANCIENTS at checkout.